Hello, my name is Tucker Johnson, and I am your host today as we experience together NIMSY Live, where we talk about the latest and greatest in translation, localization, internationalization, culturalization, and all that fun stuff global companies need to delight their international customers, or at least not to piss them off too much. On this program, we invite guests who like to have fun and have some value to add for our audience of globalization professionals. I'm always eager to provide a platform to those with a good story or a good data set. So let us know if there are any topics you'd like covered or guests we should reach out to for future episodes. If you haven't already done so, um, you're here on the NIMSY event page. Make sure that you're following NIMSY Insights on LinkedIn or following us on your social media platform of choice. If you do follow us, then you'll be one of the first people to find out when we publish new research about the industry or when we schedule new live events. And we've got a whole bunch of live events coming up that um, some of them are already on the calendar. I'll plug those later. And some of them have yet to be scheduled. So stay tuned because we've got some good stuff coming in the next couple months from NIMSY Insights. A quick introduction to the platform here. We are live on LinkedIn. And for all of you guys joining us today, uh, make sure to take advantage of those comments. Uh, you can leave comments. We'll bring those up on screen if you have any questions or um, would like to add to the conversation. That's the best way to join in and have fun. Also, over on the networking tab on the LinkedIn events, um, say hi. Reach out and connect with some people. This is a social network, so make sure that you are being sociable on the social media platform. Uh, before we get into it, I just wanted to plug a couple things. If you're not familiar with NIMSY Insights, I would encourage you to go check out www.nimsy.com. That's N-I-M-D-Z-I.com. We are constantly publish, publishing research about localization, translation, globalization industry. Lots of good resources over there for you. We will be coming out with our annual report, which is the NIMSY 100. Research for that is closing up this week. So if you are an LSP and you have not already submitted your information for that and you'd like to be included, make sure that you're doing that. If you'd just like to stay up to date on the latest industry research, you can go stay in the loop and subscribe to the newsletter or just follow NIMSY Insights on social media and we'll be bringing that up. Um, we'll be publishing that within the next few weeks here. March is coming up. Likewise, I would encourage you to subscribe to Multilingual Magazine because we're going to be publishing the full uh, market analysis and the industry ranking via Multilingual Magazine. So if you're a subscriber to Multilingual, you'll get that direct to your mailbox. Our two featured services that we'd like to highlight today are, first of all, because we're talking today about growth, LSPs, growth, the state of the industry, taking a journey back for the last 30 years in the industry with our guest, who I'll introduce soon. Um, if growth is something that you're interested in, either from the enterprise side or if you're an LSP, we have a lot of good information for you and a lot of good resources for you over mm -hmm. on MZ.com. For our enterprise-side customers, I'd encourage you to check out more about language technology consulting and audits. Um, here at NIMSY, we, we do lots of audits and maturity assessments for our enterprise clients to help make sure, just to kind of verify their roadmap, make sure that they're all on track. For our LSP clients who are interested in growing then we have a number of services available for you from short-term consulting, sales consulting, and training to fully outsourced growth and sales management. So that's something that you can go check out on nimsy.com or just reach out to us. We're happy to talk to you directly about it. So getting into our subject for today, um, title of today's live stream is A Personal Journey Through 30 Years in Localization featuring Matthias Caesar. And today we're going on a journey over the last 30 years in our industry. Um, we're going to look at questions like, is there a perfect size for an LSP? Uh, how has technology changed what we do in this industry? How is it going to be changing how we're working in this industry? And lastly, you know, most importantly, over 
overall encompassing everything is what can we learn from the past to apply to our strategies today and in the future? And that's what we're going to be talking about today with our guest, Matthias Caesar, who I'll introduce here. Matthias, he uh, started out in this industry almost 30 years ago with his first company. He learned a lot about how localization works in by collaborating with clients like Microsoft and Amazon, the EEIG, which is the European Economic Interest Grouping, he founded, um, became one of only four premier localization vendors for Microsoft in the early 2000s. Uh, for the past 10 years, he's been focused, his focus has shifted from the world of Windows towards enterprise software and mainly SAP. And this entails a lot of process and technology consulting and in, for increasingly agile processes and ever-shifting processes. Uh, Matthias, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us today. Did I get everything? Did I nail? Did I nail that? Is there anything that I'm leaving out here? Absolutely, spot on, Tucker. Thanks for inviting me, and thanks for having me on the show tonight. Um, I hope that we can bring some interesting insights into my personal view on my journey through this uh, three decades in the industry. Um, yeah, I'm happy to be here and share my story. Yeah. You know, there are a lot of people in chat, too, that have their own experiences, so make sure to be sharing those if you're joining us live today. Or even if you're not joining us live, if you're listening to the recording, you can leave those in the comments. So today we're looking at a travel through time, space, and size, and fo focusing a lot on size, I think. This is kind of a theme that we've been talking about here at NIMSY with a lot of our clients, which is what is the right size for an LSP? How does that change as a language service provider grows and matures um, and gets new clients in, in, their, in their book of business? And so I'd like to kind of start out just, could you provide us a quick intro of a little bit about your background here? And I know I have some slides I'm gonna try to bring up here to illustrate. But tell us about your journey through um, founding an LSP, working with different clients, and growing over the last 30 years. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, for me, it's been a very exciting story, uh, exciting travel and journey. Um, it all started basically, I think, with my grandma, who gave me a Commodore 64 for my confirmation Oh wow! Uh, when I was 14. Yeah? So that's when I got into this whole computer stuff, uh, which I think is a big part of, of what we're doing in our industry, at least if we talk localization rather than general translation software localization. And that took me then to uh, studies at our local university here in Dortmund, um, mathematics and computer science. So not really language related. Um, and what brought me closer to this industry is really some great stuff that we have in Europe. Um, it's, it's called Erasmus, um, a Dutch guy from the 15th century. And we took that name in Europe and made a program out of it for exchange of uh, students at school and universities. And I went to Dublin in the early 90s, in the early 90s. Um, and, and that's where I actually found some love and passion for language besides uh, all the technical stuff and mathematics and numbers. Um, and I was lucky enough to um, have a friend who just returned a little older than myself, returned from an internship at Microsoft in the early 90s. And, that's uh, when in 93, we joined forces and uh, started our first company. Um, so you're not, you're, a, you're not a language first guy in this industry. Well, like, like so many people are in this industry. They started off as linguists because, and they came to this industry because they love language and kind of begrudgingly learned the technology. You're, you're more of a technology first guy. I would say. Yeah, yeah. I, I liked uh, computers and computer science and uh, just found the, the passion to combine the two. And that was really an ideal career path for me, right? I didn't know about that. I didn't know about translation, localization for sure. I didn't know. So uh, I was really happy when I found out that these things need to be done, you know, that there are computer programs developed elsewhere and uh, German users would like to see everything in German, of course. And, and there's an industry doing it, just yeah. that. And Microsoft, you, you did a lot of work with Microsoft. They were pushing, they were really pushing a lot of innovation in this industry back in the day, yeah. right? And and still yeah, are, but, I mean, credit where credit's due, but they were one absolutely. of the first companies to really realize the need for uh, um, mature localization practices, I would say, yeah. Tech, technology enabled, I should say too. 
Um, Absolutely. In that regard, we were really lucky that uh, we had that customer, uh, our only customer in the beginning, of course. And I think Microsoft they, was a lot of people's only customer in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, and they helped us a lot. I have to admit, really looking back, I mean, they they helped us grow initially. They helped us with technology. They helped us with tools and everything. So, uh, without them, I think um, we wouldn't have gone that far, and I, I wouldn't be who I am now. It's, it's really. Well, let's take a look at that growth, right? As mm -hmm. you've gone from 1993 to into the 2000s up until today, you know, you've gone from startup to, you know, growth-oriented company, mid-sized boutique. What, are, you know, talk to me about these terms. What's the difference between yep. operating a startup versus a mid-sized versus a boutique company in, in language services? Yeah, for me personally, the main differences were, for instance, at a startup, you would do everything from A to Z, like administering the company, but also doing stuff. Whatever needs done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. whatever needs done. So it, it was really challenging. It was exciting. It was all new. Um, and that's, I think, what, what makes out a lot of startups, uh, that the, the founders and then the first that joined the team, they're really so excited to start something great. And uh, you have the future ahead of you. And... Sometimes you, of course, lose some of that drive uh, along the way. Uh, for sure, if you don't grow, I think that's why we choose a path that led us to some growth. Um, and, well, and at the, the beginning phase, too, it's like if you're not growing, you're sinking, right? If you're not growing, yeah. then you're dying. You have to be growing. Otherwise, up, up until you get to a certain size, I would say. Right. And we were lucky, really, that we had like all the infrastructure that many people didn't have, I think, um, in the beginning. Uh, working with Microsoft, we had this uh, Windows for workgroups and that little dial-up thing in one of the windows where you would connect with a modem through their, to their network and download stuff that they wanted you to translate. Um, there were still people out there translating paper. Uh, or typewriters and fax machines. Yeah, fax so, fax was big back in the yeah. back in the early days. Typewriters and fax machines. Absolutely. I mean, I remember that people that joined us, translators with really um, university background degrees, when they left university, people had still told them, "When you start a business in the industry, you you need to have a fax machine. Uh, without that, you won't get any orders." Um, and and. When we look at that, uh, yeah, we, we were a little more advanced. And I think that's also something that we can take away from this for our whole industry. I think we were always pretty much advanced when you look at the COVID pandemic, for instance. Mm. Everybody's shifting to remote work uh, and now hybrid. We've been doing that from the beginning. Right. You know, like the workforce, the translators, they've always been all places over the world. And you would connect with them remotely and through th internet. That was something I think I'm not the only person that was just kind of laughing, not laughing, but let's say chuckling at the yeah. rest of the world because I mean, it's, I shouldn't make light of a global pandemic, right? So I'm not saying like I was super happy and laughing about it, but yeah. it was interesting to me to watch the rest of the world really scramble around how are we going to, we need to work remotely. How are we going to do this? We're not set up to do this. And everyone was freaking out about it. And us in our industry, like business as usual, pretty much. I mean, exactly. for some companies more than others, but like my company here at Nimsy, like we've been remote since day one. We've only been around for five, six years now. And when we, when we started out, we had an office for a little while, but, um, we were never dependent upon being together in an office. So, and I think that's just because that's how we do it here in the language services industry. So we had a lot, I think, to, we didn't have as big of a learning curve as the rest of the world when it came to that. Yeah, yeah I fully subscribe to that. And, and that's something that we can also bring to others. I mean, we, we did help actually during the pandemic, some of our customers with Teams, like Microsoft Teams, how you use that, how you implement it, and how do you put it to best use. So there's, I think, also value add from our experience of way of working in our industry that we can bring to others. They're not all Microsoft. There are a lot of smaller companies, right. uh, also startups, most of them technical, of course, uh, since we're in the software localization business. But we can bring all these other things to the table and, and help them and share these stories. Well, and we do. And I think, you know, we call it language services providers, right? Language services industry. And ultimately, 
I mean, I think that's a very important distinction is that we provide services. We don't just provide translation. We're not selling words or selling services around language. And I think that's something that when people first come into this industry, it takes them a little while to understand is the value that an LSP brings to the table isn't their ability to translate. It's their ability to manage the translation process. And as you were saying, like in a startup, like when you're when you're young and hungry and working for your clients, you're doing everything. You're doing whatever you can, um, not just you know providing translations back and forth. You're you are scrambling to provide value to your clients, and yeah. that's that's the hunger of the startup. But then as you grow into a more mid-sized company, let's just to stay on this slide for a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. What what have you noticed is the difference between um, being a startup and being a mid-sized company and the pros and cons and the growing pains and all of that stuff? Yeah, well, the I thought the main difficulty really in terms of growing was not acquiring more business because that came kind of natural because of, I think, the good work we did. Yeah, uh, It was really getting the people that would help us with all that. Mm. And back in the days, there was no, like nowadays, there are a couple of universities that where you can graduate, take a master class and become a software localizer, for instance, all that didn't exist. You know? So we had to right. find people, interesting people, smart people from other industries or other uh, education backgrounds that would join our team. And that's one thing that I really loved and still love about our industry, that there is so so many great people with so different backgrounds, right? To, so that was the main challenge, to, to find these people to um, convince them that it's interesting to work with us and then get them familiar with what we're actually doing and uh, with the tools and the processes. Uh, That was the the most difficult thing. Uh, Besides, of course, also market changes that would force us into changing things. Um, And that's what we experienced during the the growth period. Um, When uh, when actually the market changed. Uh, At the beginning, we were like single client, single language, single site, small, and out of a sudden, uh, there came along some other companies that call themselves MLDs. Right. And that customers, oh, it's much more easy if you just source everything through one channel, uh, have one point of contact. So that's a challenge that we were facing during the growth phase, and we had to find a solution. And since we were not really the financial guys uh, that we could like go and uh, do due diligence and acquire other businesses and integrate them uh, we weren't the great greatest salespeople either so what we focused inside and thought okay what can we do best and we figured that we're good networkers yeah uh, and uh, an existing ecosystem uh, that was provided initially by microsoft then lisa and uh, localization world and all these conferences that, that came about. So um, in our Microsoft ecosystem, we found a couple of partners and we built a partner network. And you mentioned it in the yeah. intro, it's an EEIG that we founded there in the in the late 90s, uh, a very specific type of company that confused especially the American customers because they had never heard of it. Um, it's just, I've never heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically the predecessor of an SE, and uh, SE many people haven't heard of either. It's like a European um, corporation uh, that is based on European laws rather than of any member states' local laws. And the EIG was something much smaller than an SE and the initial stage for that. SE, that's like Porsche, for instance, uh, big insurance companies in Germany, others. They, they switched from AG, which was the corporation in, in Europe, Germany to SE in the last 15 years. Oh, okay. And we started this little thing there, EEIG, European Economic Interest Grouping. So that's, you know, growing into midsize. We have this, we hear this term boutique all of the time here. Right. And in the the cynic in me, when I when I hear boutique, I think small, right? But I, I'm right. joking. I'm, I'm being good natured because I've worked at boutique companies before and I think they have a lot of value to add. And one thing you know, for especially any listeners out there who are just getting started in the industry, like one thing you're going to find out is this industry is incredibly fragmented. It is incredibly fragmented. There are are not and there will never be like one or two big players that are dominating everything. It's, and you'll see this in the, when the NIMSI 100 report comes out next week, we'll, we'll have a market segmentation 
um, some some data, some new data for 2022 around that. And what that means is there's a lot of room for smaller companies or boutique companies who are serving a specialized niche in the industry. And because we're not just providing translations, we're providing different types of services in there, I think these boutique companies can do very well for themselves. And I think kind of the question that we're going to be getting into here is, is growth always the answer? Um, if I have an LSP and I'm growing my LSP and I'm you know, working hard, trying to get new clients and all of that stuff, but I'm serving a very niche audience, does it make sense to keep growing or does it make sense to focus more on my, my specialization and my specialized client base? Well, exactly. Yeah. What and I mean, while I find the slide for that, what are um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, like there's there's one slide that I built a while ago. It's like a quite difficult equation because I'm a mathematician, and it's a fake equation if you look at it more yeah. closely. But I, what it basically says is the PCS, which I think is the abbreviation for perfect company size. Okay. It depends on on a couple of factors, of course, and I call them A, M, and T. And um, A could be the age of the company, of yourself, whatever. Um, M is the maturity, um, and T is the technology. Yeah? So you're you have to look at the the maturity in terms of technology of the market you're in, like the the, the verticals that you're selling to. Um, also, of course, the maturity of our services as an industry as a whole, where do we stand there? And then make that somehow into something very personal that matches your desires, what you want to do and whom you want to serve. Um, so the real answer is not this equation. It's um, you, you need to find your niche. Like Either you grow and be acquired and become uh, a Linebridge and RWS uh, through these all these steps with Berlitz and Baum, Decap, all those names from the decades ago, um, or you you stay in the middle, which I think is the trickiest part. If you look at the market segmentation, it's either big and get bigger, or you stay kind of like small, whatever that means. How many company, how many people? I I won't tell you. It's not like a strict guideline, but I think the small right. ones they have always a niche. They have an expertise that they bring to the market that nobody else can probably do the same way they do it. So for me, small and big, that's what is serving the market. And the middle is basically either dying or being acquired. Yeah, they're being they're being acquired. Like we have a lot of healthy yeah. mergers and acquisition activity yeah. in our industry, even through the pandemic. Um, yeah. But we have here at Nimsy, we have an M and A practice, so we help companies get bought and sold essentially. So shameless plug, if you're looking to get bought or looking to sell or whatever, um, reach out or looking to acquire, reach out to us. We can help you with that. Um, but there's a big appetite for mid-sized companies on the M&A scene, I've noticed, right? Because the amount of the amount of effort and investment to acquire a company is kind of flat depending, I mean, regardless of whether it's a mid-size or a small size. So if I'm going to invest a lot of money yes. and and pay NIMSY a lot of money to help me acquire a company, I want to get something that's a good return on my investment. So that, that mid-size segment is rife with acquisition, mergers and acquisitions. And that's about the yeah. time when that starts to happen, um, which then just opens up the, the niches that those companies used to serve or served, um, it opens up that opportunity for smaller companies to become the new mid-sized companies. So there's a lot of fluctuation. You see the top five stay pretty static, right? They're not, they're not really going anywhere. But in, in the NIMSI 100, that from 20 to 80, those companies are shifting all over the place a lot of the times. Yeah. Yeah, there's always people dropping out after they've been acquired and they start something smaller again as a new startup. Uh, it's it's the nature not only in our industries and in many industries, and especially, as you said, Tucker, in the beginning, in such a fragmented industry. It's really small ones going bigger or disappearing. So the constant flow and then the big ones growing even further. And that's also because of the, the, the target customers. Like if you look the big, at the big tech guys, they have such high demands. They have so, many, so much volume. Uh, I have to say that like six, seven, eight years ago, 
I would have said that I could, with my small team, I could even serve the big guys. Mm. But that's changing uh, now dramatically because when you look at Microsoft and what they are doing, how customized their solutions are that they put out to the their end users uh, in terms of language and how that can be consumed, it's very, very different from what it was a couple of years ago. And it's so customized with AI. Uh, I think there's nothing that the, the smaller companies can do really. Um, it's just following the path. The bigger big companies might have an edge there, but I think the innovation in some regard comes really again from Microsoft, Amazon, the likes that bring something in terms of technology uh, paradigm shifts. Well, there's, there's a lot in you just mentioned that I'd like to pick your brain on. And first is with the, the innovation and technology. And this is something that I've said for a while, I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just saying I say it and it ruffles some feathers is that in our industry, I'll say most just so I'm not backing myself into a corner here. Most innovation around language services does not come. And I'm talking about like the real disruptive innovation, right? Things that change the way we do things. The disruptive innovation does not come from the vendor side. It does not come from the language services providers. Yeah. It comes from Google, from Microsoft, from Amazon, yeah. from Facebook, yeah. from from the big five, from, or it doesn't even have to be big five, but the big companies. And sure, LSPs are doing interesting things around iterating technology and making the best mouse trap, but they're not inventing new traps, right? And I don't say that like maliciously saying, oh, LSPs, LSPs are dropping the ball. I say that um, it just taking a realistic, pragmatic standpoint because we localize, for example, as great as they are, um, they don't have the millions and millions of dollars to invest into yeah. research and development that Google yeah. does, right? So we've seen this innovation come kind of top down in our industry. And once again, I'm talking about like the real disruptive innovation, not developing a new TMS, right? Um, the second thing that you mentioned was this, um, you know, people going out and starting their new companies. And I think that's something that's interesting and maybe not unique, but it's a, definitely a characteristic of our industry. And we, we actually have a term for it. Renato, my partner, has been calling it this for years. He calls it the jello effect, that um, our industry is like jello, which is when you squeeze jello, it doesn't break. It just gets everywhere, right? So when you squeeze yep. our industry, when there's layoffs in our industry, that's a pretty good indicator that in the next six to 12 months, you're going to see some startups enter the scene. You're going to see some new companies because there's not – historically, I should say, there hasn't been a huge barrier to entry to getting into the language services industry. Do you think that's changing? Because, I mean, 10, 20 years ago, if you had a computer and you could project manage a couple freelancers, you could start an LSP. Um, but today, do you see the barriers to entry shifting in our industry? I, I don't think so. I think it's even easier to, uh, if you ask me, I mean, Back then, uh, one example is when we wanted to set up our first communication infrastructure in my exchange server, right? We had worked on the localization of that thing and we thought, okay, let's use it internally and then in terms of communication with our teams. That was an adventure back then, right? We had to like start a whole project, sourcing the right parts for the computer that could actually run that and then setting up this uh, the software, configuring it. That was, whew, that took us two, three months, honestly. Yeah. And nowadays, I mean, for the last decade, what do you do? You go to whatever website, in that case, Microsoft, we're not going to over-advertise that, uh, but uh, you go there, put in your credit card credentials and tell them five, 10, 20, 30 licenses, and off you go. You're completely set with everything. Um, so I think starting a business is much more easy today than it was back then. Um, All it takes is your first client. You got you got one client exactly. and exactly. Uh, some free time to spend servicing them. Then you yeah. got a company, and then yeah. it's just a matter of how do I find my second client, my third client, out there. Yeah. So going yeah. back to everything became so much more easy with with the cloud, right? You have like accounting software. You can connect it all with Zapier or whatever tools oh, yeah. you want to use. They talk to each other. It's just fantastic. Oh yeah. You just have to have like some interest in, in technology. I mean, it's still not like plug and play in a visual kind of thing in a sense. You, you need to understand a bit the technology, but it's getting oh, sure. easier and easier. 
Yeah, I mean, when we started our company five years ago, and and this is kind of a competitive advantage that younger companies have over the mm-hmm. old dinosaurs, is the old dinosaurs are running on these custom ERPs that were developed 20 years ago with a bajillion different things duct taped together. And nowadays, you can start a company, you're like, do I want to be on the Google ecosystem or the Microsoft ecosystem? And then... Yeah. What accounting software do I need to, that's going to talk to my other ecosystems, right? So, yeah, yeah I, I see your point on that. So go, going back to the the perfect, this I love this equation. I kind of want to just have you walk me through the whole thing, but I don't want to bore everyone to death um, because you yeah. have a, an answer slide here. Yeah. So asking I'm what good. the perfect company size is the wrong question. Why is that the wrong question? Because it's not really about the size in terms of revenues or people, I think. It's really like uh, if you're a business owner, uh, for instance, I think you have to ask yourself, where do you excel and, and what is your passion in that whole mix that you can do in the oil industry, in, in this fantastic industry with so many diverse applications and, and ways of working. So you really need to find out what you're good at uh, that that puts you apart from the the rest. And then you find that niche and you can be really small and do that excellently. Um, and you don't have to have a staff of 100 to solve the problem that you identified there. So what I'm trying to say here is the answer to the size question is really a very personal one, I think. Yeah. yeah. Uh, whether you want to grow and want to be get, become big and sell your company, uh, that's a very different strategy from being what I'm considering myself, you know, a boutique company that... Uh, serves a small niche with special consulting and tools. So very, very personal. And it, it goes back to this, you know, and I forget who said this first, but um, revenue is vanity, profit is sanity, right? Mm-hmm. And if you're just yeah. chasing, growing the top line, growing the top line, are you really looking at what's right? Or if you're, and you know, this is something where me and Renato get into arguments about it's like oh we want to have 500 people in five years i'm like why that yeah. sounds like a lot of work <laughs> right exactly. we don't need 500 people that sounds like a, I mean, a, that, that a happened lot when we look at the the growth that we went through right with this partnership that we had eventually we thought okay this partnership is not stable enough and it's too difficult to sell it to our customers especially in the united states um, we have to do something about it. So we started the first and a second discussion round about merging either all of them or a subset of those partners into one entity. And that's what we eventually did. Um, but with the problem and challenge, uh, not so much about the market per se in the language industry, it was overall pretty difficult because of Lehman Brothers and the financial crisis because we merged just the year before all that excuse me, should hit the fan. Yeah. Um, so it became really challenging to m- manage the integration and get the funds and necessary money uh, to, to continue the integration and continue growing. Uh, it was very, very, very difficult. And in that phase, really, I did do, I had to do things that I was never trained for and that I didn't like to do. Uh, it was really managing the crisis and managing the financial challenges, uh, managing people fluctuation, uh, all that stuff. So I went very, very far away from what initially drove me into this industry, uh, what I liked about it, right? yeah. the, the language, the tools, and the people. Yeah, that, I mean, that, that's such a good point, right? So many of us get into this industry because we, lo- we love language or we love the people. And this is very much a people-driven industry. And as you grow, it's harder to focus on what brought you into this language or what brought you into this industry, right? If you get into this industry as a translator because you you love language and you're quote-unquote growing, which means eventually you're going to be managing other translators and then maybe be a project manager or program manager or director or a VP – and VPs don't get to work with language, right? It's just not, yeah. it's not something that's required of them, or at least they shouldn't be. They shouldn't be spending their time looking at yeah. TTX files, right? And it's kind of the tragedy of this industry is what brings us a lot of people into this industry. As we grow, we kind of shift away from that, unfortunately. Yeah. So I think this, uh, your, your slide here on the success kind of s- sums it up here. Success is 
not a function. We saw we had that big complicated slide or equation on, right. on another um, scene here, but here success is maturity and curiosity. I love this. Yeah, I think that's pretty simple, and I tend to believe that it's pretty much true. There's perhaps some other ingredient that I'm missing here, but to me, these two are the main ingredients. I mean, maturity, of course. I mean, you, you grow with the, the things that you're doing. I know more now than I knew 20 years ago. And that, of course, helps me to build new solutions, come up with new ideas. But I'm only doing that, and I'm only coming up with new ideas and solutions because I'm staying curious. And I think that is really the key for everybody in, in whatever industry you are in, but for, for sure you're in our industry, you have to stay curious and informed and try out new things, uh, new technologies that come up. A good example, I don't know if you talk about it later, but like this chat GPT that I was just about I, in the last I was, four months, right? Yeah, I was gonna say it, like, that's a great example. There's always something, talk about that. It, it is, I mean, and, and when you look at it, um, like just last week, um, uh, I think there was an even bigger bang when Microsoft announced the new Bing, which integrates the, the technology of ChatGPT, their friends at OpenAI, into Bing search. And I tried it just this morning again, uh, comparing it to ChatGPT. What am I doing with this? I mean, you can play with it, of course, and use it for translations also. But the, the really the asset that this has and what it brings to the techy guys in this industry, I think, is it can help you hell of a lot to speed up the creation of scripts for automation. It's really amazing. And when you look at it, you need a Python script to glue something together or change a file or something like that. It's it's just, it took you a day of thinking and a day of programming perhaps in the past. And now it's honestly, I mean, I, I created a script to solve a solution this morning. It was 15 minutes. Yeah. And then I, you go through two, three iterations and then debugging it, making it better. You have a conversation with those with that agent basically to improve it and, and explain what you want to do and it's it's a fun experience it's an easy experience and the results are remarkable yeah and i i think ai is not new right but what chat gpt is is making it much more accessible to everybody yeah. right and one thing about our industry is we we need to have awareness of all of the new stuff that's coming up yeah. and if there's a new thing then we need to have an answer because our clients are going to come to us and ask us about it. Um, we don't necessarily need to have the most robust solution right away, but we need to have something about it, whether it's, you know, back when cloud was a big thing, right? That was, that changed the way we did stuff. That, I mean, absolutely changed the way that we did stuff in our industry. Um, what was your experience when cloud started becoming a big thing? Well, when it started, I thought really that uh, it could change the industry so much that we would be able to cut out the middlemen, uh, that we wouldn't need these LSPs anymore, at least not the medium-sized ones, because that, we could connect. There the, have been the, lots the of people throughout the decades that have yeah. thought, now, now is the yeah. time to cut out the middleman. Yeah. Lots of very smart, very capable people have tried to cut out the middleman. But the middleman, and by middleman, I mean LSP, is still alive and well, last time I checked. so I mean, it happens in, in some domains, in some use cases, really, yeah, where uh, companies put out self-service portals for translation purposes. And they're oh, yeah. being used, yeah, and happens. they grow, yeah. and, and they have a spot and a niche there, too. Yeah, so it exists, didn't exist 15 years ago, but now they, they are there. Um, yeah. Yeah. So the, the cloud as such, I think, I mean, now we even see that, that Trados, now RWS, they have a cloud version. Uh, so everybody is trying to move the software into the cloud, just copying how they are doing it uh, in client desktop application, uh, server client applications. But there are a couple of new ones out there. And, and I'm actually, because we're small, I'm looking at the open source community. And I can just advise everybody to have an eye on, on those guys they do tremendous work, work and there's interesting developments uh, in, in that area. Not that many because we're such a small industry, but um, we're using one solution that I think is very potent. Um, and because they're small too, and it's, it's a diverse team, they, they re react to your wishes and, and feedback, which yeah. large corporations cannot do, of course, to individuals. They just can't. I mean, they, yeah. no. 
So where do you see... So you're co-developing with them, basically. Yeah, so, and that's kind of the phase that we're in with uh, GPT-3 or GPT-3.5, mm-hmm. or I'm not the best guy at my company to talk to about that kind of stuff. But where do you see us with this? Um, because it's just, everyone's talking about it right now. Um, yeah. And it will, like I, I can sit here and say, it will change the way that we do things in the industry or at least create some new use cases. It might not put us all out of a job, but it's going to change the way some of us do our jobs. What are your, and in chat, if you guys have any opinions on this, let us know as well. But where do you see this taking over the next six months? Because I think it's going to happen fast. Like six months, yeah. I think, is a good time frame to talk about. Okay. This. I mean, first of all, I think what's interesting about it is the perception of those things outside of our industry. When you look at the general public and the newspapers and they report about it. Um, I read an article yesterday, I think, that um, ChatGPT can do so many things, translate for you, and can also program. And the the journalist put it across as if that was so difficult, Uh, whereas I think, okay, language is difficult because it has some rules, of course, grammatics. It's pretty flexible in terms of how you use it and how you put it programming language on the contrary they're pretty rigid they're like structured uh, so it's much more easy to teach a system uh, with artificial intelligence to spit out scripts programs and code for you Uh, so that's what i think is one of the big big application areas for our industry but overall for other industries too we use this artificial intelligence to um to boost automation and not just at yep. a large scale for enterprises that have huge R&D departments putting that at this tackle the problem, but for, as I said, smaller ones too. Yeah. So again, with, with cloud and other developments, there were always niches opening up for small companies. Uh, same thing happening here. I think it's gonna be a catalyst for smart, small companies that can create solutions swiftly um, that they couldn't do before. The other thing is also like, how can this change the whole process? And there, I mean, I'm, I'm just guessing maybe. Um, one example that I thought of is like, back in the days, there were companies out there translating by, with the dictaphone. Uh, the translator would dictate that the translated text into a microphone, it would record it, and a typist would type the translation. That was a thing that really happened. And when you take that and apply it to what's happening now, you could think of a new UI where like the text is translated by NMT and a reviewer actually talks with a chat GPT or with an AI to fine tune and improve and change the the structure, the tone, the syntax, whatever in, in that language, in that text that they're translating. So, it, but that would require really like a complete different way of working and interacting with software, like when you compare it with CAT tools or something like that, or TMS systems. And that might happen. That might happen, but it won't happen in six months, I think. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, I, I want to bring up on Adam in chat. Adam Asnes mentions, uh, he has a, a good input here. He says, I use chat GPT lots. Caveats are that it's often wrong and can make up stuff. As for programming, it can give you a head start, but can often be wrong. It reminds me of machine translation in the earlier days. Remember that right now there aren't private instances of ChatGPT, and there are limits to using a generally available resource, but it is super cool. And I, I kind of mirror that sentiment. I think we're at the super cool phase, mm-hmm. right? I think it's, we, we, we have a new toy and we're not really sure what the final application's going to be. And, no. you know, not even sure if ChatGPT as a company or an open source, because it's open source, Absolutely. right? I know Microsoft has a big stake in it, but it's still um, open and available. Well, the, the underlying technology. Yes. Right. Yeah. yeah so the models and how they train it, like that's their proprietary. Got it. Got it. But what I think really with the scripting was programming. Yeah, it's it, it does make mistakes, but what it teaches you, it teaches you to phrase your problem better, to be very precise mm. what you actually want to achieve and what you want to do, like with the file manipulation, for instance. And if you do that and go through iterations, 
uh, they can be longer, like an hour or so, or even longer. But some cases, they're really, as I said this morning, 15 minutes, and you you do get a, a ready-to-use code of code snippet. And I think, um, look, taking back to like a language perspective, um, from mm -hmm. an LSP perspective, I you know, when new technology like this comes out, whether it's you know GPT three, whether it's the metaverse, whether it's cloud, 5G, whatever, right? There's kind of two, two questions we need to ask ourselves. How can I use this from a language perspective to um, improve the work that I'm actually doing, right? So like mm -hmm. with AI, you know, machine translation, right? It's like, how can, I, how can I make it machine translation or get better machine translation, use this to get better automatically generated translation, increase efficiency and stuff like that, right? But the second question we need to ask ourselves, because we are a services-driven industry, is how is this going to affect the inputs we're receiving from our customers? So another way of saying that is, how is it going to change the way my customers do business? So if I'm doing a lot of marketing translations, well, are my customers going to start using um, automated marketing campaign creation with GPT-3, right? Um, mm -hmm. Is that going to change that, the way that we approach trans creation, for example? See, I, I, just thinking about it, I see a lot of good applications potentially for it with um, marketing and trans creation content, which trans creation has typically been, you know, kind of a niche service, um, high, higher touch, more expensive than regular translation. But why, as a marketer, why would I create a U.S. or domestic market-focused marketing campaign and then translate it into a bunch of different languages word for word when mm. I can say, you know, tell a machine to take the gist of this campaign and really localize it and create marketing campaigns from yeah. scratch for all of these different yeah. markets? Yeah, that's a good point. And just thinking about it now, I think that's what's going to happen probably. Yeah. Because when you have people looking at this, at these campaigns, they still think local. Huh? They are who they are. They live in the community they live in. Again, the, the same example that I made earlier with the new Bing. When you look at the um, CMO that uh, did this presentation, what was the example that he was using? It was uh, something around Super Bowl yeah, because he's American. Um, right. And that, that happens so often. Like when we uh, translated the first version of Visual C++ in the early days, the example was also a, a baseball game of program that and then taking it. So it's very US centric if things are developed in, in the US and it doesn't make a lot of sense, in, especially in marketing, I think, to start thinking about creating something that is either US centric or squeezing it into something that might work globally and then translating the words. Uh, you, you should really go and create something locally or for the local target audience for sure. And, and that's where these AI things might help you to to actually assume the role of a Chinese consumer or somebody in, in Mozambique or wherever. Uh, but for that, you need, of course, the data of those regions and languages. And it doesn't exist. Yeah, I think the, the emerging markets that we're still talking about, some in Asia, for sure, Africa, uh, people that are in that domain, they have nothing to fear. It's, it's, it will be locally created or translated for couple of years if not indefinite well i mean we could talk on this uh, that's a that's a subject of a whole different podcast if yeah. we kind of went down the chat gpt rabbit hole because that's what's top of mind for everybody right now but yeah. bringing it back to um your journey and your experience like we've got you we've got you here and you've built your companies plural from scratch you've seen a lot of changes come to our industry and you mentioned that you don't you believe it's still it's easier now than ever maybe not easy but it's as possible now as ever to be starting new companies trying out new ideas um, serving new niches that are popping up in our industry what advice to close us out today would you have for the next generation of service providers out there in our industry? 
Yeah, I think the, the, the main advice is really stay focused, uh, that you shouldn't lose sight of what you did initially and what you're good at and, and stick to it. Of course, you have to make corrections if you see that things are not working as you expected, if uh, the market is not responding to them as you had hoped. But um, it's, it's, I think, very difficult to develop a company that has three, four, five different areas of expertise. Um, it's better, I think, to partner in that case. Uh, and that happens at any scale, I think, where companies partner up. Uh, Microsoft and OpenAI is another example again. So at the core, you have to understand what you're doing really, really well um, and, and keep that at the corner of, of what you're doing, um, regardless of, of where you are in the stage of development and growth. Regardless of size. <laughs> Regardless right. of size, yeah, very exactly. good. <laughs> well, I think that's as good of a note as any to take us out on. Matthias, thank you so much for making this happen today and coming on and sharing your experience with us. Um, I'm going to, I'll take us out here, but anybody who wants to get in touch with Matthias afterwards, make sure to add him on LinkedIn, reach out directly. I'll put his contact information up here on screen really quickly. Matthias Caesar, um, Matthias C at ilocit.de is where you can find him. So with that, ladies, gentlemen, chat, we are out of time for today. And if you enjoyed this episode of Nimsy Live, then make sure to join us next time. We don't have any Nimsy Live episodes on the calendar, but we got a bunch of events coming up. Our next one will be on Tuesday, February 21st, where we're talking about the latest research that we've done on the business the business confidence study for 2023. What are where where are people's heads at going into 2023? We've been coming out of a couple few years, and so what's the outlook? for the industry that's going to be hosted by my colleague sarah hickey on february 28th i and my colleague laszlo will be talking to julia tarditi from qualtrics about measuring and improving localization maturity she has done amazing things at qualtrics um, leveling up the localization program that is their absolutely amazing things so if that's something that you're interested in then come check us out you can go sign up for it right now on linkedin if you're not if you haven't already done so so once again finally my name is tucker johnson host of nimsy live and it has been my pleasure to join you all today i appreciate our guest matthias caesar i appreciate my colleagues here at nimsy insights doing all of the hard work so i can have these fun conversations I appreciate everybody in our industry who's filling out NIMSI surveys, especially those of you that are responding to the NIMSI 100 survey, which is closing tomorrow. Hint, hint. Make sure to get that in. And I appreciate you, the audience, who are joining us live today. All of the dialogue, questions, and comments in chat. And I look forward to next time. Cheers. Cheers.